Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And it was another Wildcat victory for the Kansas State University football team in what we will call and called a little bit of friendly competition between Texas Tech and K-State, even though one guy on Twitter was not very friendly about it. <laughs> he did not like style boys. He did not like style boys. No, he did <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, aside from that, it was a pretty good game. You know, pretty – we didn't – it was goofy. Things got a little wild, a little bit too close for my liking, especially towards the end – which, well, actually, no, no, no. It was just a bit too close for my liking the entire time, which is something I think I said on the on the preview show was I expected this to be uncomfortable, but I expected us to win. And I think you agreed with me. Yeah, yeah, I, I did agree with that, as I recall. But yeah, I, I think that kind of rings true for this game. Yeah. Despite things getting a little bit too uncomfortable, a little bit too close, and Donovan Smith admittedly doing a little bit of stat padding, which, yeah, that's fine. That can You can do that. It happens to anybody. Yeah. We prevailed, and we have moved up to number 20 in the country. Your Kansas State Wildcats are ranked number 20 in the nation, so congratulations to that. But let's move on into the general takeaways for the game. And the first one that I feel like a lot of people are going to focus on, and it's going to be a topic for us. It's going to be the first thing we talk about, and it's probably going to be expanded upon quite a bit. And that is, despite the fact that we played a pretty reasonably complete game on quarters one, three, and four, it was the second quarter that was pretty worrisome. And before I go on a... a, inevitably long diatribe about why it was worrisome connor do you have any any thoughts to get out about it um i will say i'll add a bit of the first quarter into that uh because over and over it seemed like you and i were saying we should really be up like 21-0 right now or we should be up 28-0 and we just kept shooting ourselves in the foot weren't finishing we were kind of sleepwalking early it felt like after the first drive, because I, I think we just got comfortable and we're yeah. like, oh, this game's in hand. So I don't want to step on any of your points, but I feel like you're going to say you're going to have some pretty similar sentiments uh, to this as I have. But it was a very frustrating game, especially early on. Yeah, I. The thing is, is that and credit to this Texas Tech team, because I really do think that they're going to be a, a good team, like they're going to finish top half of the Big 12. And that's a credit to Joey McGuire and uh, the culture he's built there. But we made the mistake that I feel like a lot of schools are going to make, and it's a mistake that every school that Texas Tech has faced this year has made, They've, except for NC State. They've let Texas Tech stay in it. And Texas Tech is going to be an annoying school to play just because of their capacity to stay in the game. Like you're never going to, at least this year, you're never going to have a game against Texas Tech, which is, oh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be easy. Oh, we're up three scores like in the second quarter. They're going to roll over and die. 
No, no, they are not. <laughs> but a lot of the struggles in the second quarter really did come down to schematics. And I was telling Connor about this during the uh, during the second quarter. And this is specifically when it comes to defense. Offense is a bit harder to evaluate because um, I don't have all 22. Someone hint. somewhere has all 22, please. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> Still would do disgusting things for all 22. But at least in the second quarter towards the back end, that last drive that the defense had, the main reason why, and this kind of gets ganked into another point, the reason why we had a little bit of trouble on that last drive was because Texas Tech took advantage of the fact that our number one priority on defense is to play fast. They did to us what I thought we were going to do a lot to Texas Tech, which is implement a lot of the running game, where to a degree, the intent is to let you win a little bit, to slow play things. So that way, gaps start opening up a little bit more in the running game. That way you get people going in the wrong direction. And that's a lot of why that that drive really worked for them. Because we got caught looking at motions and then the ball going the opposite way because they slow play the handoff immediately after the motion. Misdirection is something that's going to give this team headaches on defense just because of how fast we want to play. Now, granted, credit to Joe Klanderman, he figured it out. Like he told the defense, hey, they're slow playing it. Just stop. Take a breath if you think it's going to be the run and just maintain your gap. You don't need to go for a big five-yard TFL. You need to stay in your gap and make sure it's no game. And that was a big part of the second quarter on defense. On offense, I think a lot of it had to do with complacency and also red zone play calling being interesting, to say the least. And because we forced a few turnovers and, you know, we just didn't capitalize on them, which is very frustrating. But, hey, if if that's my main concern is one quarter out of four and we won the game. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I feel bad complaining a lot. But because yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we did. We did win. We did win uh, fairly comfortably. I'd say got a little bit suspect at the end for a yeah. while which the end was a, is a whole separate ordeal to get into yeah uh, I, I forgot to put that down on the general game day recap but we'll we'll talk about that at the end yeah the next thing that we mentioned is that their offensive line really really was not having a great time <laughs> which is part of why that counter game worked so well was because the offensive line wasn't having a grand old time felix was ridiculous this day. I feel every single time Felix takes the field, he's moving his draft stock up, which is that sounds easy to do, you know, just play your game. <laughs> it's not easy. It's he not easy. he's starting to win a lot of reps that last year he would have fought hard, but not quite won. I think almost all, if not all, of his sacks against Texas Tech were double teams. Either that or where he was having to come all the way around and uh, really make a, a concerted effort. It wasn't just like a pocket sack. You know, he'd, he'd have to get like all the way across the pocket, go all the way around a guy. He had at least one sack that I could think of to memory where he had to fight through a double team and he had to split a double team to get there. That's the sort of thing that NFL teams are going to want to see is you dominating 
power five level competition, but you're still clearly better than it. And he he was making the left side of Texas Tech's offensive line look bad, like just downright not power five quality yesterday. And there's an argument to be made for that, honestly, but <laughs> but the, there's still for the sake of my narrative it is because Felix yeah. is good. <laughs> yeah, but I, I will say they're they're still at a power five school with power five coaching and power five facilities. So it's not like they're completely useless or anything like that. And their current left tackle can't be worse than the one last year. So poor man. He he will continue to catch strays until the end of time on the show. (laughs) But which it could happen to anybody. Yeah, I mean, at least we don't remember his I I could pull up his name, but I'm not going to. It's that's unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) That that's not a stray, that's a target. But um yeah, and even outside of Felix, Matlick, even though he was a little bit hobbled, got a few pressures. Eli Huggins, when he wasn't hurt, was you know making his presence felt. D. Hence was making his presence felt, and <laughs> the the man himself, Uso, towards the back end of the game. And of course, one we can't forget it's the it's the one who actually tied Felix for sacks. It's Khalid Duke. Yeah, 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 he was great. Their offensive line could could not handle it. They couldn't. Yeah. And the pass and the pass protection, they were completely and utterly overmatched. And I don't think anybody was really surprised by that, honestly. That was kind of like the one prediction I feel like we I would have locked in the mortgage on a house <laughs> if I have a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I, I I think we both felt extremely confident that K State was going to win the trenches, if nothing else, in the passing game. Yeah. Last thing before we talk about the the last parts of the game is the kicking is now becoming dependable. You know, quietly after Chris Tennant was 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 being criticized, it's and, and the only reason we mentioned this is because you know credit where credits due. He's finally figured it out, and we're that's great for him, and I really like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, good for him. One of the field goals was a little bit flat, but that's kind of getting nitpicky. Liner. <laughs> Yeah, if they're going in, they're going in, uh, and I'm happy with that. Um, one criticism, I guess, that could be levied is that he's not attempting many deep field goals. But honestly, I'd say that's just a credit to the offense, yeah. like getting down the field. Like that's not a Chris. Chris Tennant can't control where he's attempting a field goal from. Yeah, so, like, unless he's warming up. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, but yeah, I've been pleased with how he's done. Uh, he has not missed a field goal or extra point since Mizzou, I believe. Knock mm-hmm. on wood. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy, uh, with how he's done as of late, but yeah. Yeah. And now we can talk about the last couple sequences of the game and let's, let's kind of start with the beginning. Um, well, not necessarily the beginning. Let's just talk about that last little sequence. So onside kick time after Texas tech converts a two point conversion for some reason it was still a two-score game but they convert a two-point for some reason and then they go for the onside kick Cade Warner hops for it and I, I'm not sure I'm not sure if the ball would have gone out of bounds if he didn't touch it because if he and granted that's a situation where I, I don't expect him to like stop time and then just think about it a little bit more I he's operating on instinct but if that ball goes out of bounds, it's our ball. But he hops up to try and make the catch. 
it bounces off his hands and goes right to Texas Tech. Okay, that's fine. We just need to get a stop on defense. And to our credit, after like the second play, I think it was, uh, the refs blow the whistle early and Julius Brent ends up with a pick. I, I still don't know what happened. I'm not sure if I was a Texas Tech fan, if I'd be upset, because to me that kind of seems inconsequential because at the time there was like 40 seconds left on the clock and you'd have to recover another onside kick even if you scored. But I, I've i seen a lot of people say that there was blatant point shaving, which is kind of funny. <laughs> that is interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's... That's an interesting perspective to take, I guess. Uh, don't know yeah. if I'd agree. It was just a weird last sequence. Yeah, the, the, it was a really strange way for it to end. The timing of the whistle was weird because it definitely, and there definitely was a whistle. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you could hear it from the stands, but it was after the ball was snapped by at least a second, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of in that weird gray area where. They uh, they weren't really sure whether to stop or not, but nobody stopped playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody continued to play the play as if it were a regulation play, which I think played into that a little bit. I said play like way too much, uh, but they, uh, yeah, that that was a weird situation. I wonder if we'll get an explanation on it. One of my thoughts was that it might have been an inadvertent whistle. Yeah. Uh, one of a one of them might be like uh texas tech like trying to get a timeout but they were too late they were Uh, out of timeouts then it wasn't that so other than that i'm not really sure what it was no they weren't they had a timeout my bad uh yeah they did they did they had a two no they had all three because they called all of them on the next possession for k-state yeah um so i'm not really sure what the whistle was i i'd be surprised if we ever hear uh, why it is if I were a Texas Tech fan I would be annoyed um, I, I will say from, I don't think yeah, I'd be angry like I, I I think that the opinion here is that you'd like there to like you'd like the refs to figure it out um, obviously you're upset if you're a Tech fan I think because you, I don't think you expect to I don't think anybody has the thought that they lost because of the whistle situation no. But I do, I do know if it was K State, I would have wanted the opportunity at least after getting the touchdown, getting the onside kick, uh, and then getting a big pass play right after that. I would have at least liked a shot at it. But I don't think this was a game breaking choice with it being a two possession game, anyways. So the likelihood of getting two onside kicks back to back is slim. They also did not throw a very good pass at all on on that play. Uh, Julius Brents had a uh, it wasn't it wasn't super easy but it was not a good read it was probably not going to be complete either way um, so I I'm not going to lose sleep over it as a K-State fan uh, it uh, as if I were a Texas Tech fan I also I don't think you should lose sleep over it either it'd be something I'd be annoyed about for the rest of the day though like god why'd they do that but this isn't like something to like remember two years down the road no no, so, don't, don't be an Iowa State yeah, fan about it. <laughs> definitely strange, but I think that's where it stops. Yeah. 
Now we can move into the stats, and uh, you can have offense this week. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, offensively, uh, we'll get started uh, with Adrian Martinez and the passing game. Uh, stats took a step back from last week in the passing game. Uh, 12 of 19 for 116 yards and a touchdown. He did take three sacks. The pass protection, which we'll get into later, was not as good as it needs to be. Granted, the offensive line is dealing with a lot of injury issues, but still pass protection was definitely subpar. Um, Running game, though, obviously another phenomenal day for the ground game. Adrian Martinez, he had 12 rushes. For 171 <laughs> yards uh, and three touchdowns, and then a, a long of 69, averaging 4.3 yards per carry. A very nice, nice day for Adrian Martinez. If you take out the uh, sack yardage, I think he gets really close to 200 rushing yards on the day, yeah. which I think would have been the first 200 yard rushing day for a K State QB since Daniel Sams in like 2013. He had he had like 206 and a loss to Baylor back then. I don't know why I remember that. But <laughs> you do. I do. It's useless, but I do know it. Uh, and then Deuce Vaughn, he had a great day as well with a few big carries um, after kind of a slowish start to the game. He had 23 rushes for 170 yards and a long of 69. Another nice day for him, too. Had 7.4 yards per carry. And Phillip Brooks had a carry for six yards, which I do not remember that at all. It was uh, they counted a bubble screen as backwards pass. Ah, OK. Well, so he didn't really have a rush, but it's really. technically a rush. But I'm not going to count that. That's stupid. Um, but yeah, all around uh, a great day, a really nice day for the run game. No DJ Giddens carries wasn't necessary. Uh, Adrian having a phenomenal day uh, on the ground, starting off hot and then finishing hot, kind of like the team. Uh, and then Deuce uh, had some really nice carries in there as well. Receiving wise, Cade Warner led the way three catches for 47 yards. Philip Brooks, though, did have the big play. With five catches, 36 yards, and the touchdown where that, that was such a terrifying touchdown. <laughs> I really thought that it was going to get picked off when it hit off his hands. I I was convinced that that was going to be an interception right there and be uh Adrian's first turnover. Um, but luckily it was not. Philip catches it, makes a guy miss, and then dives and like it's NCAA 14. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Malik had one catch for 13. Deuce had a catch for 11. Ben Sinnott had a catch for six yards and a couple of drops. Granted, they were not easy catches no. uh, that they would have been. And Wheeler had a catch for three yards. Uh, and I forgot to mention Deuce did have a fumble that he lost, but he did get kind of injured uh, on that play. Got the wind knocked out of him. So he, uh, I'm not going to hold it against him, especially because we won. And he also very rarely fumbles. So I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Um, but that wraps up the offensive stats. Not a lot of contributors, really. Uh, it was really the Deuce and Adrian show again. Uh, what do you have to add about the offense, Ace? I mean, really statistically, statistically, not a whole lot. Um, because that kind of gets into a lot of what I have to say for game day grades. I will say that um, there's no real better place to... No, no, there is. Never mind. I was about to say there's no better place to, to talk about KT, but um, there there is definitely a better place to talk about KT because, uh, you know, 
we have a segment that talks about the offensive line. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't have anything else to add there. And we now we can talk about the defensive statistics. Let's go in order of the t- most tackles to least. Starting off with Kobe Savage, who had nine tackles, one TFL, one force fumble, and one potential date upcoming in the future. <laughs> <laughs> he that's that might be the best moment of the year, but <laughs> so far, yeah. <laughs> but Kobe Savage had a good day, and then Khalid Duke had an absolute monster day. Eight tackles, three TFLs, all three of them were sacks. Monster. I mean it. Like this is what we thought Khalid Duke was going to produce like last year before he got hurt, especially alongside Felix. And now seeing them Khalid Duke now up to full speed and seeing him alongside Felix, it's it's gross. It's disgusting. That shouldn't be allowed. And yet it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, one I do have one thing that I want to add about uh Khalid Duke. Um, and it's that he in this one game now has the most sacks he's ever had in a season, uh, with three because he's never had more than two in a year, uh, partly due to injuries and also just from being like a younger player. Yeah, huh. that's interesting. Yeah, the more you know, the more you know, indeed. But yeah. Then after that is Josh Hayes, who had seven tackles, one TFL. Austin Moore, quietly again being the best linebacker on the team. That's not a joke. Seven tackles, one TFL, one interception, one PBU, and one QB hurry. King Felix and DK Uzama had six tackles, three sacks, and one forced fumble. I wonder if this, I wonder if K-State counts the forced fumble as a sack. Stupid. That's <laughs> so stupid. I'm not over it. But <laughs> next up is Drake Treatum, who had five tackles on the day and also kind of he he kind of got back shouldered by a tight end who's six foot eight. That happens. <laughs> like that. Not much to do about that, really. Yeah. Uh Daniel Green had five tackles and then a pass breakup where he almost did the exact same thing as he did against MU, just jump up and got a pick. Oh, yeah, that that would have been awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Julius Brents, four tackles, one TFL, and one pick. TJ Smith, two tackles. Gavin Forche got in. He got two tackles. Desmond Purnell, two tackles. Brendan Mott, two tackles, a QB hurry. Nick Allen, two tackles, and a QB hurry. Eli Huggins, two tackles. Ty Zentner gets credited with a tackle. Shout out Legatron. And then Jacob Parrish, Matthew Mashmeyer, and Jalen Pickle all get credited with a tackle. Echo Boido has a tackle and a pass breakup. And then Nate Matlick did not register any stats except for a, a, a fumble recovery and a QB hurry, which kind of belies how good he was this game. But yeah, that's that's the defensive statistics. And there are a couple of people here who... Uh, well, never mind. That's where game day grains comes in. Do you have any any thoughts on stats? Um, yeah, just uh incredible day for Felix and Khalid. Uh Austin Moore also had an incredible day. Which I mean just, there were he just does now, I yeah. guess. I mean, you have here legitimately four probably candidates that you could say defensive MVP, and I'd say, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah no, I, that's, I, that's I agree with that. Uh, that. That's all I have for the defensive stats. I mean, you summed it up pretty well. Yeah. So now we can go into game day grades where we rank every single position group, including the coordinators on a scale of A plus to F minus. If you get an A plus, you almost single-handedly won us the game. And if you get an F minus, you almost single-handedly lost us the game. But let's start off with the man under center or most of the time in K-State's case in pistol. And that is Adrian Martinez. Now, this is probably one of the biggest discrepancies that you and I are. Well, no, no, it's not. I'm going to, that, that's a lie. I ended up giving Adrian Martinez a B plus. And the main reason why I ended up giving him a B plus was there were a few times in the passing game where I want to see him throw with a bit more anticipation, which granted that's an NFL skill set. That's something NFL quarterbacks are supposed to do, not necessarily as much with, with, you know, college quarterbacks. You don't expect an average college quarterback to be able to throw with a lot of anticipation. That being said, I hold Adrian to a high enough standard to where if Ben Sinnott is working his way up the seam, for example, I expect Adrian Martinez to know, okay, I have, I need to get this ball out right now. I can hit a whole shot between the safeties up the seam and the linebackers. Cause there was one or two times where that was a possibility. And that's just something I haven't seen from him much this year, except for in the Oklahoma game where he was exceptional at it. But in the passing game, he was just lackluster, but well, he wasn't lackluster. He was fine. He was all right. But it's really the rushing that ascends him to a B plus as opposed to, you know, like a, a C or a C plus. On the ground, Adrian Martinez is the best running quarterback in the country. And I will not be taking questions. I know Malik Cunningham. I know. I know. Okay, you know what? Maybe it's a Taiwan. <laughs> it's tied for first between Malik Cunningham and Adrian Martinez. But nevertheless, I, I ended up giving him a B plus because it was a great day on the ground, all right through the air. I gave him an A, mainly, and nothing that Ace said really is invalid. Uh, his passing game was pretty fine. Um, I do think some of the issue was receiver play. I did, I really had issues with the receiver play for the most part. It it felt like there wasn't as much effort as there was in the OU game, um, but. Adrian, I I just can't find a way to give him below an A when he has four touchdowns um, and some incredibly explosive plays on the ground. Uh, yeah, passing game was fine. Um, at least part of that was receiver play. Part of that was offensive line play. Um, and on the ground, he was phenomenal. Uh, so I, I, I give him an A for that reason. And then also um, PFF gave him some unbelievable grades uh his highest of the season by far he had a 94 offensive grade 88 in the passing game and a 92.4 in the run game i'm not normally gonna just like trot out pff grades for my game day grades but <laughs> i i just felt like it was it was worth mentioning because it was unbelievably high uh for adrian uh so i i feel like it's warrant it warrants a mention nothing else but yeah an a for me for adrian yep next up is the running backs and 
Deuce Vaughn is here to collect his basically weekly A. The only thing keeping it from an A plus is touchdown and the fumble. I'm not going to blame the fact that he got the win knocked out of him for the fumble. I ended up just giving him an A because he's just the moment that I think Deuce can't like Deuce has kind of hit his ceiling. He starts showing that he's improved his vision a little bit. I still think DJ Giddens has marginally better vision, but that's just via his running style and the fact that he wants to put his hands to read leverage on blockers, whereas Deuce just kind of wants to like weave his way between the blockers as best he can. But every single time I think Deuce has hit his ceiling, he does something new. He turns into the best blocker on the team. He improves his vision a little bit. He serves as a clear out receiver. Deuce gets an A. Yeah, Deuce gets an A from me as well. Uh, basically the same reasons. I did toy with giving him an A minus because of the old fumble, but you know I'm I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. Um, he had a great day, 170 yards on the ground. It's hard to not give him an A for that. Yeah, the A plus could have happened if he had a touchdown. Um, which again, uh, some of that is just QB run has been money. Uh, when we get, well, yeah, I say when we get anywhere, really, I guess it, yeah. it, it, it just works when we've been using him, uh, 7.4 yards per carry. That's elite. Uh, yeah, I had a few explosive plays that really helped that, but still. And then he also had a catch. We, he's not really been getting as many targets in the passing game as of late, which some of that I just think is focus from the defense on him. Uh, cause I think a lot of defenses see him as like the, um, guy to follow um, when it comes to the uh, passing game uh, uh, for receiving, especially when he motions out. Uh, so he's just not open as much. But yeah, he gets an A. Uh, DJ Giddens saw like three snaps and he was fine, I guess. He didn't get the ball. But did you really do so anything? I didn't do anything really. Next up is wide receivers. Now, this is one of those situations where I could easily just point at production and give them like a mid grade. I don't feel like that tells the whole story because there, there are a few times that the more and more I watch the receivers, the less and less I'm seeing what I thought Thad Ward would have brought to this as a wide receivers coach. Because I really thought that the number one thing that Thad Ward was going to bring, just based off his prior experiences, was finesse-based receivers. Receivers who run really crisp routes, who know how to separate and how to get open. Or even how to find, how to slow down your routes to get into holes in zone coverage while still keeping a little bit of momentum. I expected Thad Ward to be like to bring that to this room. And, you know, maybe that was a bit unfair of me to expect him to do that in like six months and to do to undo not six months, but what, like nine, something like that. Roughly. Yeah. And and to undo the years of coaching that the these receivers have gotten, that maybe is a bit of an unfair expectation. But still, I I can't help but want more out of the receivers just in how they're playing. So they, I I say this, like they had an awful game. They didn't, they were fine. I ended up giving them a C minus because a C minus to me, what it means is they did all right, but they left you wanting more. I gave them a C 
basically the same reasons just there's just something lacking right now from that room i feel like uh, they had a really nice game against ou um say for a couple of moments but they i i feel like they just we didn't really get anything from them and this game uh say for like the first drive um the first drive it looks like we had some things designed to get everybody open at various times philip had the nice concentration catch if we can call it that mm-hmm. um uh but yeah Cade, uh was okay leading receiver um malik we only saw him on that first drive and then he didn't really do much else um just pretty uninspiring performance from the receiver room it's getting pretty frustrating i'd like to see more rj garcia going forward because i i want to see what we have going forward with this receiver room uh because allegedly he was really impressive um in the camp we're not really i guess (laughs) yeah he's really i think he's only had two receptions this year Uh, he rotates in occasionally but we haven't seen a ton of him yet i'd like to see more so see we haven't seen any receivers outside of the top three i think jaden jackson has gotten like two snaps yeah, I think Jaden Jackson has more snaps than Jaden yeah. Jackson. Porter got a few snaps against like South Dakota or Missouri, I think it was. It was Missouri, I think. Um, but yeah, we've we're definitely pretty strict on offensive rotation this year. It seems like like we are not really subbing very much like we did uh, in years past. It feels like our trying to get a lot of guys on the field. Um, but yeah, that yeah, that's maybe our best three. But we might want to try rotating in a little bit more because it's clear that these guys are struggling with something that they're just not getting open and and part of that is just you know we're going to need to get out and recruit some really good uh, receivers which andre davis is coming in i think he's going to be really good yeah um so i think that'll be an emphasis this upcoming year is going to be getting one or two no i guess one more at this point really high upside receiver yeah. But yeah, it was a frustrating day for the receivers for sure. Yeah. Next up is tight ends and fullbacks. Now, if you look at receiving production, you say Ben Sennett had a catch, Sammy Wheeler had a catch, whatever, go about your day. That doesn't tell the whole story either because whenever we switch to two tight ends, 12 personnel, they suddenly just turn into like basically auxiliary offensive linemen. Or whenever Ben Sinnott lined up at fullback, Ben Sinnott had an amazing block on that 69-yard run where he served as the kickout player. And I'm like, okay, can we – I love that play design. Can we see more of it? And they said, you get something similar once and you will never see it the rest of the game, which is fine. But the tight ends and fullbacks, honestly, just for their blocking performances, gets a B-plus for me because they were that good when run blocking. Copy paste what you said and put it uh, for me because I gave him a B plus too for basically the same reason because they didn't do a whole lot in the passing game. Ben Sennett had a couple other targets that he wasn't able to reel in. Both would have been really tough catches, so I'm not going to hold it against him. Um, but yeah, they they were fine in the receiving game, but they were this was their best blocking game of the year, I think. Ben Sennett, like you said, he had a great block uh, on one of those long runs. Um and Wheeler was pretty serviceable in pass and uh and uh protection as well and then run blocking. So a B plus for me for the tight ends and fullbacks. Yep. Next up is offensive line. Um well they were better than they were against Tulane. 
they weren't atrocious. They figured it out eventually, but the opening stages of the game, the pass rush was really getting to us. And we'll, well, to, to kind of steal from another segment, we kind of asked the question of does K-State's offensive line keep from getting confused with the multiple fronts and deployed looks they use? The answer is not really. They, they didn't really. They ended up giving up three sacks. Run blocking towards the beginning of the game was just fine. But as the game moved on, they got better and better. But still, it was kind of that that start that knocked them down for me. And part of it was KT getting poked in the eye and having to go out. Shout out to us for thinking it was a knee because he was grabbing at his like leg. M- meanwhile, he just got like poked in the eye. Yeah, yeah that was a little strange. But, but yeah, I, I ended up giving them a B minus just because they were above average, but not by much. I gave them a C plus. Uh, they were pretty okay for the average offensive line, but I have higher expectations for this offensive for this uh this offensive line. Um, I I feel like this should be an offensive line that's getting at least a B grade every week, and they didn't meet that expectation. Uh, Cooper B was good. Outside of him, uh, we struggled. I'd say a lot. KT Levinson, Panzer, uh, he had a few pretty costly penalties that really bothered me. Yeah. Um, but. KT was good in the run block. I'll say he was getting worked in the pass block a few times. Granted, he had a tough matchup, but he's got to do better. Um, pass protection as a whole was kind of rough for a lot of the game. Um, run blocking was pretty okay, um, but I, I expect more from the offensive line. I could be more harsh, but I'm going to hold off on that because I know they're battling a lot of injuries right now. Taylor Poitier should be out there, but he's not. Um, and then uh, KT was hurt for a bit as well uh, with his uh, getting poked in the eye, which is a shame. Uh, and Dawson Delforge was, again, solid in relief. He wasn't out there very long, uh, only 11 snaps. Uh, but I, I'd expect more going forward from the offensive line. I'm, I'm taking it easy on him a little bit this week uh, just because I know the situation with injuries and whatnot but uh yeah c plus for me yep now moving to the defensive side of the ball starting off with the defensive line now you see six sacks and you think well that's immediately dominant that's like an a plus performance i ended up giving them just a flat a and the main reason was just because of that little those hiccups that they did of not maintaining their gaps in the running game because in a three-three-five, that is in the running game. That's the, I would honestly say that the most stressed part of the position in a three-three-five is the defensive line because you're in a constant state of, you have to two gap. You have to attack your gap and maintain gap discipline every single play. And that includes when in the running game, you're getting counters run against you. You have to meet the counter block and you have to make sure that it doesn't blow you past. You can't get them under your shoulder pad. You can't let that happen to you. So them slow playing a little bit that ended up just giving them an a for me. But if my, my, if my complaint is that they were susceptible to a play call that they haven't seen much this year and is specifically to designed to attack the one play style that they've been with all year, 
I'm willing to chalk that up as good scheming and just give them an A for it. Yeah, I gave him an A as well um, for pretty similar reasons because, uh, yeah, six sacks, which granted Khalid Duke's kind of a linebacker. He plays a lot of linebacker, but all of his sacks, I think, came when he was kind of playing down on the line. Um, Felix obviously was great. Nate Matlick had a really nice game. Um, Eli Huggins was pretty solid too. Um, but yeah, you're right. They did really struggle with uh, uh, gap discipline in the uh, the run game. Uh, and that was responsible for some of the lapses in run defense uh, in the middle of the game, like the second and third quarters, especially the th- uh, third quarter out of half uh, and second quarter right before half. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they, they still were great. If you don't have six sacks, this is probably like a B performance, but the six sacks that gets you up to an A, but you can't quite give him an A plus. And yeah, Felix had a great day forcing a fumble, which I think that makes him tied for the all-time K-State lead in forced fumbles for a career, so. which he has eight because he had six last year, and so which is incredible. Ridiculous. And it's because the way he's like he gets the sack, he just whoop, just arm over directly towards the ball. You know, here's the funny thing is that that move won't work against Hunter Deckers because he's left-handed. Yeah. <laughs> that, that won't work against him, which is so strange to think about, but that, that's maybe a... He'll, maybe he'll switch it up. <laughs> <laughs> he just mirrors himself. But that That's a question for uh, the Iowa State preview. But, yeah, uh, then yeah, the force fumble is great. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, some hurry. A hurry for uh, Brendan Mott and Felix um, outside of the uh sacks that he had he um had i think like four um pressures as well mm-hmm. uh on top of um, what he was already doing uh yeah he had a uh, three sacks and then four hurries um and then Khalid duke had a hurry and then a qb hit as well so i mean they were really getting after the qb uh then brendan mod had three hurries as well um it, it was a really really great day uh, for the uh, uh, the pass rush, but run defense they need to work on their discipline. Texas Tech knew how to attack that, uh, and credit to them for that. But yeah, an A for me. Yep. Next up are the linebackers, and this is one of the rooms that also kind of was susceptible and kind of gets <laughs> they kind of catch strays because the D line got caught up in the counter game, but. I ended up giving them an A minus because in coverage, unless you're Austin Moore, you kind of left a little bit to be desired, except for when Daniel Green, you know, he had the excellent play where I think he was actually meant to be playing spy, but he just activated his moon boots. (laughs) He activated his moon boots (laughs) and uh, decided to jump into the air, almost get a pick. Austin Moore has quietly become the best linebacker on the roster, which if you would have told me that Austin Moore was going to be the best linebacker in our room at the beginning of the year, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah. And I wouldn't I, have said sorry about it. As you should have, honestly, going into this year. Yeah, Austin Moore had a great game. I ended up giving him an A minus. Just, you know, they it was a really good game. Not quite enough to get an A, just because, you know, a couple of, of missed opportunities like in coverage. Yeah, I gave him an A minus as well, um, but the A is really for Austin uh, this time <laughs> around. 
Uh, powerful name. Yeah. As a powerful name, brings a great deal of honor and respect to you, of course. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Green had five tackles. He had the great pass breakup, but he honestly kind of had a few moments where it looked like he was struggling a little bit. Um, uh, I'm not really sure what that's all about, but he he there were a few plays where he definitely should have made a play and didn't. They were kind of subtle, um, but it, it was a little frustrating in hindsight. Austin Moore, though, was incredible. Uh, he had seven tackles and then the tackle for loss and the pick, a pass breakup, and a QB hurry. I think that pass breakup was a near interception. He yeah, just about had a second one. Uh, he has been unbelievable uh, so far this year. Um, both he, Felix, and Khalid Duke all have legitimate plays for Big 12 Player of the Week uh, on defense, um, which is unbelievable to think about. Um, so... I gave him an A minus again. Part of the struggles in the run defense that also does go on to them, uh, less so than the defensive line. Um, but it was uh, uh, a bit of a struggle there, at least for a bit. But they kind of figured it out, and they did miss a few in pass protection. They're linebackers, not defensive backs, so it's you know you, you give them a little bit more leeway there, but. Um, you like to see a little bit better. I think Lee Duke was solid. Gavin Forche got some snaps, missed a couple of tackles. He was really trying his his best. <laughs> and, he was doing his best. Yeah, Desmond Purnell played some, and he didn't do anything noticeably bad, at least. So there's that. I'm had a couple of tackles. So all around, pretty solid day for the linebackers, uh, save for um, a handful of plays. Um, but Austin Moore has been good enough to continue to give an A- minus to this group. Yep. Next up is the defensive backs, and, well, Echo Island got thrown on exactly once, which that that happens because, you know, Echo is still only six foot, and the receiver that was thrown to was like six four. That's a, you know, that's, sometimes you get visitors to Echo Island, that happens. But overall, I'm not going to say I was disappointed with the defensive backs' performance, I was just left wanting a little bit more, especially because I think that this is probably our deepest and best unit on the team. I ended up giving them a B. And the main reason I say B is because, you know, there wasn't any major coverage busts like there were against Oklahoma. That said, there were a couple of moments where we were a tick slow on the play. First thing I'm thinking of is Drake Cheatham on the little spot pattern that was run from the slot. If he's there literally two milliseconds earlier, that's a pick six. And I'm also thinking of the time Echo got kind of busted up on the sidelines because the receiver was bigger than him. I'm thinking of times that there were guys kind of running open deep that just weren't thrown to. And I know about 75 yards of what was it, like 360 of Donovan Smith's yards were from you know, that, that last drive, but nevertheless, I, it was just a performance that wasn't forgettable. It wasn't bad. It just ended up being fine to me. And that, that to me is a B grade. They were above average, a good unit, but they weren't knocking my socks off. Like I normally expect them to. Yeah, I actually gave him a B as well. So I think we perfectly matched on the defensive side of the ball. I swear yeah. we don't. We don't. We really don't do this these. on purpose. The thing is, we yeah. just watch the same game. <laughs> yeah, uh, we uh, uh, the only time that we ever really 
talk about grades beforehand is if we're just like really confused about how to create a particular group because we're like hey they did this really well but they also really sucked at this point and then we kind of come out to like the same thing anyways most of the time yeah other than adrian which even then it was still pretty close yeah yeah i gave a b to the defensive backs um echo he did get pretty much burned not quite completely burned but it was close um and then he kind of struggled to bring him down um but then again, he came back a drive later or two and had an excellent pass breakup, uh, kind of fighting through a bigger receiver. Uh, I think it was a third down as well. So it was a really big play for Echo. Uh, and I was really pleased with that. Julius Brents continues to be apparently the best run support corner in the country. <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah. That was the knock. Against, we mentioned this every week, but that was the knock against his games. Like, oh, he doesn't want to play run support. Are you sure? Yeah. PFF actually lists uh, Julius Brents as being targeted three times with two receptions for five yards. Uh, one of them went for seven. One of them was a loss of two, and the other target was an interception. Mm-hmm. So uh, all around, you could say that's a pretty good day for Julius Brents, um, to put it lightly. Yeah. Um, then, uh, yeah, he was really, really great. Uh, Kobe Savage, he had the forced fumble uh at one point, I forget exactly when it was, but he was generally pretty solid with Kobe Savage. Uh, he was the one who forced the fumble that uh, Matlick yep. recovered. Yep, he did. And uh, he did have the late hit that extended a drive for Tech, which that was really frustrating, uh, which I think it was, I really think if he hadn't kind of done like the throwing down motion with his arms, like uh, where he kind of like it, it like made it look like he was doing more than he was. I think. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think his, arm, his arms just his arms just kind of swung after the guy was like falling, and it made it look like he was throwing him down. So if you're the ref, you kind of have to call that. That's a really, it's just like a mental lapse. He's not. I don't think he'll do it again. He'll no. learn. Uh, I'm not concerned about that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, T.J. Smith, uh, he was fairly good. He's getting more and more snaps right now. It seems like he's probably fighting back from an injury or something. Josh Hayes continues to kind of pseudo fill in the Reggie role of last year, of just being a defensive back that just flies in out of nowhere and makes a big play in the backfield. Yeah. Uh, he's got at least one of those a game, it feels like. Um, but yeah, the coverage, I, I think you put it best. Uh, we were just a step behind a lot of times. Um, but I'm not going to get too upset with the defensive backs. Like you said, a lot of those yards came pretty late in the game so i'm not gonna get too angry about that uh yeah i mean like looking back uh i mean that well, those last two drives they had 18 yard pass uh one two eight six 26 10 four and then 20 25 that's like 100 yards right there almost not quite. I don't think I wasn't tracking as I went. I can count. And then, uh, so yeah, that, that's a lot of yardage there near the end of the game. Donovan Smith still had an all right game, uh, made some okay passes, made some not okay passes, but <laughs> the, the DBs generally did their job. And ultimately, we win this game by two possessions, anyways, and could have very easily been three. So, uh, B for me. Yep. Next up is the offensive coordinator, Colin Klein. This, it's it's difficult because on one hand, he did figure it out eventually. On the other hand, I, I want more. 
because I, I see what he does against like the Oklahomas. I see what he does against LSU. And I'm like, I want that every game. That's like a that's like a top half of the Big 12 offensive coordinator right there. And then he granted we I've only seen him lay an egg once. But other times he's just fine, like he's okay. He's hiding the playbook during those non-con games. And like to me it, it's just he's a tick slow to adjust, which is the same problem I had with Courtney Messingham except for the fact that Colin Klein eventually does adjust. I'm sorry, Messingham keeps catching strays. <laughs> but I I ended up giving him a C plus because after that first drive, I expected, okay, heavy dose of quarterback run. We didn't really see it again until like the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, that, that really fell off the face of the earth after, you know, getting us like, 60 whatever yards on the very first run yeah and i want to see him develop more counter punches when things aren't going perfectly because to me that second quarter really concerns me because it did kind of take him that entire quarter and a half time to make any meaningful adjustments the red zone play calling still isn't great if quarterback power isn't clicking i want to see him develop more counter punches to things like that zone read game that he has, like those pistol dives that we have. We want to see him develop, like, because he ran it up against, I think it, I don't even know who was up against. It may have, I don't know, but he basically ganked the play design from South Dakota that they ran, where they ran a fake speed option, turn it into a pop pass. I want to see plays like that develop off of those QB power looks. I want to see, Colin Klein get more creative with his play call and it's this isn't even a situation where you can say oh like the game was well in hand the entire time no 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 no, no. there it was a two score game for the majority of the game and for a lot of it, it was a one score game so I ended up giving him a C plus again above average but left me wanting more from him yeah, I think that's a good way to put it is left wanting more. I gave him a B minus. Um, he did adjust eventually and he deserves credit for that. And we had a very nice fourth quarter. This game kind of felt similar to the Nevada game, save for uh, the Nevada game of last year, where they uh, really kind of pulled away late after a hot start. Um, and uh, although the big difference here is that Texas Tech did kind of have a late push kind of. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see the red zone play calling improve a bit. Part of that, I do think is the receivers kind of struggling, uh, in compact situations. Uh, it seems like the receivers need a lot of space to work, uh, which is understandable to a certain degree, but our passing game is not really meant for red zone situations for the most part, unless we've really got like some, uh, wide open access. Like we had, uh, on the slant for Brooks, uh, um this past weekend the week before with malik um but beyond that i do think some of it i can see the logic in some of the stuff he was doing in the red zone where i think it was twice in the first quarter where we ran the ball on third down and like kind of intermediate distance like third and seven third and eight Mm -hmm. i think the idea there was probably get four ish yards and then go for it on fourth yeah, and, broad for what you can. Yeah. 
I, I think that I think that was what they wanted to do, but both times we just got stood up, unfortunately, and had to settle for a field goal, which was very frustrating to not capitalize early in that game because that was a we could have been up 21-0 after the first quarter in this game. And we could have been up probably 28-7-ish to ish at halftime if we played to the best of our abilities. Um, and this, granted, games like this are frustrating, but at the same time, you can draw a big positive from, from the game. I'm talking about games where you should win by more than you did. Uh, the big positive to draw from games like that is that you seemingly outplayed for a lot of the game, uh, at least part of it, and you were the better team on the field, but just it was more beating yourself than the other way around, which is kind of unusual for K-State, uh, at least like uh, from growing up with a lot of Bill Snyder teams that didn't beat themselves that often until later in his tenure. Uh, that's going to upset commentators that love to go to the bag <laughs> of K-State cliches. K-State team. Uh, this disciplined, hard-nosed, blue-collar, lunch-pale K-State team that doesn't beat itself and loves to run. Where have I heard that before? And mm. and they, wow, they love special teams. <laughs> okay, that one's true. It is true, though. Yeah, but I, there, there's definitely a uh, um, a box of K-State cliches that they pass among the uh, uh, networks, depending on who's broadcasting. Yeah. But, um yeah. Klein gets a B minus for me. Uh ultimately a fine game, but sometimes uninspiring, but he did figure it out. Yep. Next up is Joe Klanderman. I'm not gonna mix it around here. Yeah, I gave up a lot of yards. The only thing keeping him from getting an A plus is not making the immediate adjustment to slow plays and still having them work a little bit. I ended up giving him an A. Because he's finally he finally did something that I've really wanted to see us do more, and that's run zero, zero blitzes. Because I don't think that with how fast most of our safeties and linebackers are, good luck. Good luck against zero blitzes, moron. It's not gonna work. Like you can run, like you can run your fake little smoke screens if you want. You can try to run go balls up the seam. Yeah, good luck running a go ball 98% of the time against Julius Brent and Echo. It's not happening. I want to I wanted to see us run zero more, and we did, which fun fact, I learned apparently it's called Spark. So uh the the name for that is Spark. So yeah, it's I ended up giving him an A. He had a great performance other than dealing with the counter stuff, which is such a small part of the game. I gave him an A- minus for taking a little too long, I think, to make the adjustment. Um, the end of the second quarter was really rough uh, for the defense. Um, and then the third quarter wasn't great either. They They really buckled down after that, though. They had a great, great first quarter. Um, and then a pretty solid fourth quarter as well, where they really only gave up anything at the end. Uh, and even then they still were able to seal the game with the interception. Um, he, he had a really, another solid performance that was a little shaky for a while. He was on some thin ice for a bit, but, uh, the unit as a whole figured it out. Uh, so not going to complain too much. Uh, so a minus for Joe Klanderman. Yep. 
So now we can start talking about answering the pregame questions. We'll kind of do these quickly because a lot of them were yes or no's. Does Klein use more of the misdirection and outside running game to abuse the defense? Outside running game, he tried. Misdirection, not really. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty much it. We didn't do a ton of misdirection. Um, and yeah, outside running game, we gave it a few shots. Didn't really work. Uh, had some big losses on those plays. So yeah, that uh, pretty much sums that up. Yeah. Uh, can K-State avoid giving up too much free yardage against an offense that looks for it? They didn't go for as much free yardage as I thought they would, but on the times that they did, we were, I'd say, batting a good, like, 300 against it, which is all I would really expect. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at it. Um, And I agree. I was expecting a little bit more of that, and it was not that at all from Texas Tech, which, granted, they they had other ways of uh, getting the yards they wanted, which is kind of stepping on the next question, I suppose. Uh, can the defensive line dominate in the trenches against a weak unit yes almost to their detriment they they really did dominate too much uh in this game which is so Uh, weird to say but it's true that's the point of the counter game yeah the pass rush was absolutely phenomenal uh in this game exactly what i think you and i were hoping for um the past simply phenomenal stuff felix was great and the pass rush, Klee Duke was great as well. Um, Daniel Green graded really well in the pass rush, which is weird. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what what that's all about, but sure, fine. I saw him rush. He wasn't bad. Yeah, he, he was doing just fine. Uh, everybody not named those guys was serviceable or Nate Matlick, and he did pretty well. And uh, so, yeah, run game, not as good. Uh, which I was more of a discipline issue than a domination issue. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I'll say generally, yes. Does K-State's offensive line keep from getting confused with multiple looks? We talked about it. The answer is not really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they really struggled with the many looks, uh, especially people not named Cooper BB. Go figure. And uh, yeah, it, it was pretty frustrating, especially in the pass protection uh, they were not having a great day. No. Uh, same question for the quarterback. Yeah, actually, he did. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he did just fine. fine. He knew it was coming, and he really did his best. He got sacked three times. I don't think any of them were his fault. Not really. Um, no. It was just a good pass rush from Tech and uh, K-State offensive line. Not really pass blocking that well, uh, intermittently at least. So, yeah, not Adrian knew it was happening. So, yep. So, next question Can 9 a.m. have a repeat performance or at least a comparable one? Comparable, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to call it comparable. Rushing the ball, he had, in terms of total yards, a better game. Uh, had one fewer touchdown. Um, but, uh, yeah, running the ball, I'd say it was comparable arguably better depending on how you look at it passing obviously not as good uh but not all of that was his fault part of that was the pass protection struggled and the receivers weren't quite as good as they were against OU uh so comparable yeah you I think you could compare it the OU game is still a better performance for him all around I'd say uh at least statistically um but he was doing some really good things in this game he still came away with that 94.2 uh PFF grade 
which is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, that's great, great, great stuff from Adrian. Yeah. Which team gets momentum right off the bat? K-State. Can they ride the momentum of last week's victory? Ironically, both of them did. Yeah, both K-State and Texas Tech honestly played really efficient games this week, which is funny to think about. Uh, Tech, uh, I believe they actually were technically more efficient than K-State in this game, according to some advanced stats. I don't really care. because we (laughs) didn't ask. Yeah. (laughs) We, I, I still think that we, for the most part, other than, than pass blocking for the offensive line and for a segment of the game and the run defense, played the better game. Uh, they were very efficient in uh, late game when they were down by three possessions. Uh, but I, I, yeah, they both broke momentum from last week. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it. We're back on the the numbers hate train. <laughs> Securely after avoiding that narrative all this year, (laughs) we're back (laughs) on the numbers eight train. Uh, But next up is MVPs. And I'm going to start with offense. Uh, I know Adrian Martinez got a B plus for me. He also scored, you know, four touchdowns. He's the obvious MVP. Like I know most valuable does not always mean the best. Most valuable, because if it was the best player every single year, Aaron Donald would win the NFL MVP every single year. It's about who's the most valuable player. And four touchdowns, by default, makes you the most valuable player. Yep. Adrian's another obvious victory here uh, for player of the week. I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward, honestly. You said it best. He had four touchdowns. I mean, when you've got four touchdowns, you're the MVP. I don't get to make the rules, so I don't get to make the rules. All right, now let's go to defense, and you can start with that one. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, this is a very, very tough award to give out four week names. in, week out. Yeah, like I mean, this week you really could pick four different people, and I'd say yeah, they absolutely were. I am going to roll with Felix, uh, for the MVP. Um, six tackles, three sacks, and a forced fumble. Uh, massive impact and when he wasn't getting sacks he was getting really close um, and he the lost yardage wasn't as good as Khalid Dukes was um, but he still had a phenomenal game that forced fumble was really clutch um, and he was generally just an absolute menace in the pass rush so I, I gotta go with Felix here for the MVP but there's plenty of great options here yeah I I'm inclined to agree with you just because I feel like in a in a performance where just about everyone had like a really amazing performance, Felix was the the X factor. He was the game wrecker. Without Felix, this game, I'm not going to say it because it has a different outcome, but it goes differently. Because Felix was in the quarterback's lap the entire game, and it didn't matter how many blockers you put on him in pass rush, in pass protection. He was going to break through it. He was going to get through. He And just the idea of Felix is it caused Donovan Smith to move off of his spot a little bit. And whenever you're a quarterback moving off of your spot, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it, it really is, especially when you're moving a spot out of fear of the defensive end. So I ended up also going with Felix, but if I had to pick a number two in order to be different, I'd probably go with Austin Moore. 
just by virtue of him being the most versatile player on a defense that quite literally has a hybrid position and he's not the one playing it. Yeah. I, I gotta give my, my honorable mention was also Austin Moore. My order for the top four was Felix Austin Moore, Khalid do Kobe Savage uh, in that order. I thought all those guys were totally acceptable uh, candidates for the uh, uh, player of the game or MVP. I should say. Yep. Next up is the takeaways. Now, the first thing is that this team is not a team that will lay down. It's a team that can fight through adversity, even if it is self-created adversity, which I feel like that was the lone question that I really had after the Oklahoma game was a lot of the adversity from the Oklahoma game was because of who we were playing and where we were playing them. This game, it was a little bit of us creating our own problems and then proving that we can solve them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was waiting for you to say something no, else. Happened. No, I was I was done. <laughs> I, was, I was done. Yeah, I, I, I thoroughly expected you to say another thing after that. I was just like <laughs> waiting for the other shoe to drop. Is, is, is he going to say it? <laughs> No, yeah, no, yeah. They they did prove that they can fight through adversity uh, in this game, and uh, yeah, you, you said it well. They did kind of create some problems of their own making, uh, but they they were able to fight through and still get a two possession victory. Um, should have been more probably, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it. No. The uh, next takeaway. Uh, Colin Klein does need to work on his consistency. Uh, you could probably make that note for a lot of offensive coordinators, but yeah. Colin Klein really, other than the OU game, has struggled in this department. I would say, yeah, it, it's like a drive to it's like a drive to drive thing where one drive he'll he'll have all the answers and he'll you know ring them up perfectly, and then another drive it's like, well. Yes, we're punting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause uh Messingham, it was always uh there were specific quarters where he was really bad. Klein so far it really hasn't felt as much like that. Like we found success in about every quarter at various times throughout the season, it feels like. Um, and it, it more, yeah, like you said, I think it's a good way to look at it as drive by drive. Uh and it's not always his fault. Sometimes the execution isn't the best. Uh, execution was generally solid, I feel like, but there were moments where I would have liked to see maybe uh, some different play calls. But um, again, that's Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, we already talked about 9 a.m. being tied for the best running quarterback in the country behind Malik Cunningham. Next up is the deuce in 9 a.m. Like having that backfield is disgusting. That should yeah. not be allowed. It is absolutely unfair uh, to defenses across the country. Um, they have been nothing short of spectacular uh, in the last few weeks. <laughs> I mean, their their numbers are um, rivaling uh, the best backfield duo in 20 years, going back to L. Roberson and Darren Sproles, really. Because um, Deuce right now already has 638 yards on the on the. Uh, season uh adrian like that it's so weird it doesn't feel like that it really doesn't because we're so used to what he's doing um and then adrian uh he's got 469 yards uh thus far this year 
Adrian is already over uh, a thousand uh, yards uh, all purpose, um, which is more notable simply because the passing game hasn't been explosive. Uh, so the fact that we're getting there is, is uh, pretty phenomenal. Um, but but yeah, the this is one of the best backfield duos in a long time uh, for K-State. Next up is the passing game still requires a little bit of work, whether it be in, you know, making sure that you have more protections called for those deeper schemed plays or just getting guys more open through receiving talent in and of itself. Yeah, it seemed like we kind of had something working on the uh, first uh, real drive. I guess I guess is what I'll call it, like the one where we actually had to like try. <laughs> yeah, um, the one where we didn't just run QB power. Yeah, yeah, the one without two like major explosive plays. Um, the it seemed like we kind of had a rhythm going. The passing game almost we were spreading the ball around and had different guys involved and everything. Beyond that, it seemed like we were kind of struggling. Um, to get some rhythm going in the past game, um, I I I would like to see more rhythm, of course, going forward. That's not an unpopular opinion. I'm sure Colin yeah. Klein and Chris Kleiman feel the same. Um, but we're, what we're really gonna need is somebody in the receiver room to really step up. I feel like and be the guy. Uh, because if you go down the list right now of our number one receivers, uh, you're gonna notice that's very similar. Malik Knowles, 15 catches, 157 yards, one touchdown. Phillip Brooks, 16 catches, 155 yards, one touchdown. Cade Warner, 14 catches, 133 yards, one touchdown. Everybody's kind of doing the same things right now. Uh, so they all have different skill sets. They shouldn't have the same stat lines. They that is the weird part, right? Um, they they do they all do different things. Um, Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks couldn't be more different as receivers. Um, it. It's really odd, honestly. Uh, but we really need a receiver to step up. That guy's probably Malik Knowles. Um, but he's just going to have to really focus in uh, and be that guy for the receiver room. Either that or Deuce Vaughn's going to have to step in again, uh, which I would allow happily. But I would prefer be a wide receiver. Uh, I don't want Deuce to have to carry the rushing and receiving game again. So I, I I would love for a receiver to step up. Yeah. And I'm sure they would too. Yep. I just realized I took two in a row, so you can take the next two. Yep. Uh so Kobe Savage uh shooting his shot with the cheerleader best best moment of the season thus far. I did not notice it happen mid game. I didn't even notice it until somebody pointed it out after the game. It's on Twitter. Yeah, I was on Twitter. Uh very, very uh funny moment for Kobe Savage. I think it worked too. That's the best part. I, I, I certainly hope he was successful. <laughs> she was blushing as well. That's the, like the best part because you can see like a little bit of like the shot of the cheerleaders after he blows the kiss and you can see one of them just blushing profusely. <laughs> it it might have been uh, the mascot though. I think he was in the vicinity. He was blowing a kiss towards the mask. Yeah, yeah, the mascot, whatever his name is, uh, and his comically large magnum <laughs> handgun. <laughs> Are you okay? 
you you had to throw in the handgun because you knew exactly. I'd like to say that was unintentional. <laughs> that is not the type of man I am. I like consider myself a man. That's a deep drive to left by Nick Castellanos. <laughs> making a three nothing ball game. I'm not sure how much longer we'll be doing this. this. All right. That's... <laughs> Anywho, moving on to the last one. Uh, if we can avoid quarters like the second quarter, uh, we're going to win a lot of games this year. Uh, we really just need to play four complete quarters every game, yeah. which, I mean, when you put it like that, that's every yeah, game. Yeah, really? <laughs> like, 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 yeah, no kidding, right? So, but the this was a game where if K-State plays better in the second quarter, this we probably get close to touching 50. Yeah, I'd say we could have dropped a 50 burger on this team. And it's not because they're bad. It's because we're good. <laughs> yeah, like that's not a Texas Tech issue at all because uh, their defensive front is really good. It's one of the best in the conference. But we knew it going in that if you could get past that defensive line, there was going to be a lot of green space. Uh, that That's not a controversial thing to say. They're, uh, the further back you get in their defense, the less good it is basically is what it is and um, i mean their whole defensive strategy is just absolutely suffocate you with pressure and hope you aren't able to navigate it and by the fourth quarter we were able to so yep i agree now that pretty much do you have any any final thoughts on this game go cats go cats always (laughs) so the next game will be farmageddon in Iowa, in Ames, up against Iowa State. So please be sure to look out for the preview on that one. It's an episode we're looking forward to because uh, I watched one game all the way through. And let's just say even without doing deep dives, I see problems. But There there are definite flaws with this Iowa State team, to put it lightly. Yeah, we'll put it like that. But... That pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville Acats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleycats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Bautzazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>